Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Story Studio. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. I'm Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by uh, Luke Condor with a K, and, and our special and guest for today, Clark Chamberlain with two C's. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Clark helps authors to transform their stories into emotionally resonating books. Uh, Clark is the editor-in-chief over at Sterling and Stone, and he's also the creator of the Book Editor Show podcast, and he has a bar that he made himself from a big box of books. That is correct. <laughs> so today we'll be tickling Clark about uh, his secrets of story editing and how we as indies can make better stories. So does that all sound good? Does that sound like a good theme to run with? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, wa- I watched that video earlier today, Clark, of you uh, making that, that bar. It was really interesting. It's really, I really want to make one myself. Oh yeah, I know. Like it. Um, so I used to build houses. So in another life, and uh, I I was remodeling for the office, and I found that box of books. I was like, these crappy books. Like, because <laughs> if, if you don't know, if you haven't watched the bad book bar, the little thing. So these were like my first book that I ever did, and it was the wrong edited copy was loaded on, and so like they're all misprinted, and yeah. But uh, putting that together, it, and it's still, it's down in the office right now. I love that piece. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Would you ever sell it? I'd love to do something like that. I don't think I would ever sell it. Like, that would be a real hard sell. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my, my dream with it is to do a podcast vlog and travel around to writing conventions and call it the drinking author and, like, just sit down and drink with authors and talk about writing. Yeah, that that's a cool. genius idea. I did notice your little um, tipple of whiskey at the end in your, in your crystal <laughs> Last. Yep. <laughs> just a dream. It's just what we want. Um, yeah. So, what have we been working on? What are we up to at the minute? Um, well, I've been doing some first drafting, up to forty thousand words of our next novel, Dan, and also mm-hmm. promoting the Kickstarter campaign. Just yes. trying to get people to back it. Uh, I won't. I won't go into too much detail yet because it's my big whip. But um, but yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. I thought that it might be. I thought yeah, it might yeah. be. Yeah. What about How you, about Clark? you, Clark? What are you up to? Uh, so I just got back from a writer's conference. I presented on a couple of different panels on editing for anthologies and also military culture, which is really cool. And uh, right now, the big thing I'm working on is getting a six-hour uh, video course put together on the hero's journey and how you can use that in all genres, not just in fantasy. Wow. That sounds, sounds cool. really, really interesting. Yeah. 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 Is that going to be a um, you pay for thing, or is that going to be out of the goodness of your heart? So I, I think there will be some pay for it <laughs> with that one. <laughs> oh, all these people demanding money. I know. <laughs> yeah. um, I have been working on um, Lazarus storming through with that again. I'm so close to the end. I'm at that point in the book where you are just sick of it. It's that final 
racy payoff where you everything's tying together and everything's awesome and it's fun to write and to edit and to go back through and manipulate but it's just been a bit of a, a hard slog this one um oh. compared to how and I, I know we've mentioned this before so i won't go on about it too much but compared to how easily they rot seem to um just work as a storyline this one's just had so much more needing to tweak stuff needing to make sure that it all comes together um and i'm just wondering if part of that is where they rot. We have kind of like an overview of where we want to travel with the story. So we can be a bit more freer with how we get there. Yeah. Whereas in my head with Lazarus, we planned it as three books. And the first one's actually turned out to be double what we planned it would be. It's nearly 100,000 words now. Um, but it's the idea of then making sure that everything fits so that you can wrap it up and get everything within those three three books where we can. Um, yeah. So that's been I think, I think, it, I think it'd be worth it in the end. I think the story would be better for it. So the audience can't complain you know it's for their for their own good exactly i'm excited yeah. by it i'm at that point now where i feel like it's nearly there um it's, it's just that final push to to get it done and then it's on to the next one yeah yeah uh should we move <laughs> on to the big whoops so i can just sort of finish the train of from before yeah so uh so we uh, we our kickstarter is funded uh for el marvo which is the nice post-apocalyptic luchador comic book uh we needed to fund like the artwork and some printing costs and, and that kind of thing uh, we have you seen them. any of this stuff? What was that? Did you, have you seen any of this? No, I have not seen the Kickstarter. So sure. we'll have to show you the, the images. The images are fantastic. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a luchador in a post apocalyptic world. Uh, <laughs> with yeah, it's cool. It's it's interesting. It's quite nice to do. We we funded in a week, so we've still got three more weeks to try and overfund, which is just nice. gonna sort of pay us back some of the money we uh, invested up front for like some of the art costs and stuff. So it's really good because I think when you launch a Kickstarter, there's always that feeling of, I might look like a tit in this. I might just be dangling around like an idiot in the street <laughs> naked. <laughs> uh, but then like when you, when you, when you fund it, it feels, it feels a lot. It feels like there's support there. So it feels nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, congratulations. It's awesome. Um, oh, it's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw some of the panels originally and from the start, it looks like a quality thing. And obviously we were lucky enough to, I say we on behalf of Hawking Cleaver, but you guys were lucky enough to get Will Robson involved with the mm. um, the cover art and, and Dan Butch has done a fantastic job. And, and you guys have just done, I think you've done well with pushing it without um, almost pushing it too hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be constantly nagging people. I just sort of wanted to, mm. I don't know, just try and get it out there uh, peacefully, uh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of awesome. Um, my, my big whoop... Um, is that I am currently in the throes of our The Other Stories 2.0 planning. Um, and I know we haven't mentioned too much of this. I don't know how much I will mention, but um, suffice to say that we've got lots of plans to basically kick it up a gear, make it, we'll turn it up into the next level, make sure that everything's where it needs to be for people that love The Other Stories, that want to come back, and that we can basically just give people more for their money, which is at the minute nothing. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I it's we. So shall I mention the the site or go into the site a little bit? It's up to you, man. Yeah, can do. It's yeah. part, it's part well, of the, the relaunch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. One of the big things is we're going to have a dedicated podcast site that sort of hosts all of our podcasts, and um, it's been sort of a tricky road to try and work within a budget, but to find something that's sleek that holds what we need it to. And basically serves its purpose in a way that fits what we're trying to get across our brand. Mm. Um, and I think it's coming together nicely. You've seen some 
bits of it so far, and I think it's getting to a point now where it looks like it should. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it looks looking yeah. good, man. Uh, what yeah. about you, Clive? So, what have you been? Uh, what's your big whoop? So my big whoop is I finally cracked the plot issues that I was had on a follow up uh, to my first novel, Another Day, Another Name, and because I made the biggest mistake of like having like all these multiple point of view characters, and it just mm. was this gargantuan story and like the second one trying to figure out how to make it work and it finally came to me during that writers conference like i just got the last little thing i needed and was that like mid, wow mid panel you were like t- mid panel was like gotta go let's yeah. hold on <laughs> i have to go write this <laughs> so but it was just such a good feeling to like sit down and like uh replot and and work out those issues and get to the end that that was going to be the right one so feel a little more confident in in working on it again so, so was it someone? Uh, was it what someone said? Uh, was it what some? Was it something that someone said that kind of triggered that revelation, or was it just being there, being inspired? I by think people? it was just actually no, it wasn't anything anyone particularly said. It was just being there and getting energized again with everyone who was so excited about you know sharing their stories with me when I was having conversations and uh, and you know that that feeling, that energy that comes from there. It's like I want to get back into my writing because like this last year, all I've done is pretty much edited. Like I released Tank Hudson in the Anubis last summer, but I mean, it was already done. And all I've been doing is editing and trying to get back into fiction has actually been tough to find the time. Plus the problem with you get into being the editor all the time, then you really have the editor's issue like in your own head when you're working oh, on your right, own yeah. stuff. You're like, oh, this is, if it's not perfect, I can't put this out. Like, yeah. I mean, it's gotta be <laughs> nailed down, shut. <laughs> do, you, do you feel yeah. like the eyes are more on you because you're an editor people be like let's find some typos here (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's terrible even like doing a um like an email newsletter like you'll get grammar nazis that shoot back at you you call yourself an editor and you misplaced this period thing you know and like you're just like i'm sorry you know i'm human (laughs) i'm human we work fast you know as well yeah, I, I can emphasize with that. Empathize with that. I am. Um, I was a. I don't think you know this, but I was a freelance um, copy editor for sort of nonfiction text for about two years before um, my son was born, and I had pretty much the same um, problem. But one of my the, the first caps that someone had was I changed my um, job title on Facebook to Danny Wilcox from Wilcox Editorial, freelance proofreader and copy editor. And about three weeks after I changed that, my uncle kind of popped up in a message and just went you missed out the F in proofreader. And I was like, well, that's a, that's a great start. So no, let's see, you know, people, yeah, it's part of the sales page. Like, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is it, um, so you've been doing editing now for, well, tell us a little bit about sort of how you got into editing, how long you've been doing it for and what that kind of involves for an average day for Clark Chamberlain. So, uh, editing really came about as a, it was a real roundabout deal. I mean, I was uh, editing newspaper work before and because I used to be in journalism for over a decade. And so uh, like I had been a copy editor and I'd done that portion and it wasn't particularly my favorite thing to do. And when I was getting ready to launch the Hank Hudson books, I wanted to start a podcast to talk about writing. But there's like what, like a million, I think, podcasts on writing right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a million and one. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I was taking this course on, uh, from Danny Innie from Firepole, Fire, ugh, sorry, Firepole Marketing. I, I think he calls it Mer- Mercy now. Anyway, oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. 
Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so he had this course called Audience Builder Masterclass, and it was all talking about like making sure you have a niche audience. And so I started looking at the podcasts out there. It's like, there's no podcasts on editing. Um, let's do a podcast on editing. We'll just talk about writing, but we'll do it, you know, we'll call it editing. Because that's really, it's just it's all kind of the same stuff, really, when it gets yeah. down to it. And we'll take some stuff. And uh, after the first year, well, it was within six months, started getting requests to start doing editorial work for other people. And it just has grown and grown and grown from there. And I've just taken all of the, my story uh, information, you know, and my, my expertise on story and the psychology of why we read and things and then applying it to, especially to developmental editing. That's my favorite thing to do, helping people with their story and making it work and connect the right way. And so it's just been really great. Um, but it can get uh, super busy. So I have not slept in the last two days because <laughs> I'm on deadline right now and I'm pushing through like two different projects at the same time. Um, which is the problem with going with family to writing conventions and telling yourself I'm going to work because it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> doesn't happen. So, but I finished last uh, this morning about 3 a.m. and uh, just have been working the rest of the day. So, but a day can be, you know, four or five hours worth of copy editing, developmental editing. We're doing the story jackets now where people send uh, their outline and I can go through the outline and help them see holes that are right there from the start, which can give them a really big leg up, um, which has been, it's been fantastic doing this work and getting to work with Sterling and Stone on top of it. So. Yeah. Would you, yeah, I uh, think that's it. Go on. Well, I was just going to say, um, so you, you, you saying then there's only like, there wasn't any shows on editing or, or writing. It was all on publishing and, and marketing, I guess. Do you think that's a symptom of, indie writing in general because i do feel like there's a whole thing about getting your book uh up the charts getting a great cover but i feel like there just isn't enough attention on good prose no and there's not because prose let's see sean and platt um over at self-publishing podcast we've talked a lot about this and you know you've got uh what the new Kindle algorithm is going to be. And that's going to be, what do we call it? Like a, like a technique, you know, a, a, something that's short term and you've got your decent prose and your really good story. And that's your long term. And no one cares about the long term, you yeah. know, because they want instant sale. But the problem is Kindle's not going to be there forever. The algorithm are going to change. A well-written story is going to last for years. And that's, Indie authors need to really get this in their head that they're creating wealth products. That this is not just a sale that you're going to get for the next three months or the next year. You need to build a product that's going to last for your children so that they can get those royalties as well. Yeah. And that's not going to happen if you're not paying attention to the story. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that we, um, we okay. try and stick a balance with because the truth of it is that when you are starting out, you do, people do see the dollar signs and it is that thing of, you want to at least have some products behind you in order to build up that sort of rolling inflow. Mm. And it's hard striking that balance between I want to write this fast and I want to write this well. Um, and like you say, I know a lot of people are sort of emphasizing at the minute the the write fast, the write fast, the write fast, and not um, sort of focusing on quality prose. Um, so, I mean, is there any kind of uh, advice that you would give or that you've kind of come across that might be good for people who do want to hit those word counts but also are trying to create something whether that's an extra layer of editing along the way whether that is hiring someone like yourself to kind of look at it or well definitely um work with other people if you can't hire uh, an actual developmental editor 
you know, that you're working with people who really understand story or at least understand the genre to make sure that you're hitting um, that story the right way, that you're not having glaring elements that are missing and doing the best that you can, but understanding that once you have established a, you know, the rolling income that you're going back and actually paying for professional to get in there and redo those and relaunch them again. Mm. You know, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with going back and improving things, you know, as long as it's not drastically changing the story. If you have the story, the basic elements of the story in place, you can go back and then play around with the pros and on the, on the smaller level, you know, just to clean it up, to make it work a little better. What would you say are like the more common story mistakes that beginning authors make? Uh, that they rush, okay. uh, not rush into the writing, but they rush into the story. Yeah. We don't take enough time to actually understand who the character is before the story begins so that we can see changes that are being made throughout the story and understand why those are significant. Yeah. And then, so, for instance, it would, for instance, it would be like jumping into Star Wars with them arriving at the Death Star, you know, hitting the <laughs> tractor beam and getting pulled in. We have no idea why Luke's there. We have no idea yeah. that he was a poor farm boy, you know, that wanted to some adventure in his life. We don't see any of these other things that he cared about and how the world switched when he got involved in old Obi-Wan Kenobi's damn fool mission, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess this comes back a little bit to the whole um developmental editing and obviously um like we said the story jackets that you're involved in at the minute um do you want to tell us a little bit more about that because it must be a, a huge privilege really to see people's work in its seed because i know that some people can get very very precious about their idea before they even start typing people will just silence it forever so how how are you kind of approaching that with people yeah, so it really is an honor to I'm getting to work with all kinds of different authors at different levels. Uh, it is them exposing, you know, something that's very new and there might be that they don't even know where it's headed yet. And that's really cool to be a part of that initial process of the creation. And one of the things that I myself, you know, really am trying to be conscious about is not coming across and saying, this is how I'd tell the story. You know, yeah, that's got to be yeah. quite a fine line you've got to tread. You do. You really do. And so it's like trying to really find, because I think our subconscious is an amazing thing. And we actually put the little pieces that are there, and sometimes we don't even see them. And mm -hmm. so I get to go through that, and I'll see these little pieces, and I'm like, hey, if you take this idea that you've already got here, and we move it up to Act 1 and we expand it, you know, it's going to create this whole other level of conflict and tension between your main characters. And so you can find this stuff and help them expand it and see things that they hadn't even thought of before. And that's, and it's rewarding. So it's very rewarding. Yeah, of course. I'd love to, um, uh, to get a story jacket at some point. I mean, um, so if people are out there and they, they would like to, you know, have a look into it and see, see if the story jacket is right for them, what, what, where would we send them? Um, over to Sterling of Stone and then you, I uh, can just type in story jacket. That'll pull that up right yeah. there. And uh, I'm booked for the next few months, but if you can get into there earlier, you know, you can find a good spot and we can definitely work together. Um, it, I don't like to call it the poor man's uh, developmental editor, but yeah. you know, if you can't, if you can't afford the seven cents per word that it's going to cost to do developmental editing on your story, yeah. this is a fantastic place to start. You know, this mm -hmm. is a really great place to start, and at least that you can get the right story functioning 
um, in the right way with your genre, that you're hitting the right spots. Because, you know, each individual genre, everyone's got um, something they're looking for in that. It's something that they want to go back and have that same experience, only different again and again. And so, like, that's one of the things that I help with is making sure you're hitting those notes. Yeah, great. Um, so I remember when I first started doing novels and stuff, and I, um, I'd i done, like, two drafts of my first novel, and I sent um, someone on Kboards said, send me your first 5,000 words and I'll tell you your common prose mistakes. And uh, instantly within that, she said like, okay, so you, you're filtering your, uh, there's, there's lots of stuff here that you could change or you're not doing this right. I, I found that like immensely helpful. Just that sort of, just someone could just say, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. Um, so in terms of prose, is there anything that people need to be looking out for that, it, that, that uh, common mistakes that people are making there? Well, you know, the, the, there's the old saying, you know, the show don't tell. A lot of times things come across as just a lot of telling or really that they are messing up in, the, in an area where it's not making sense. You know, that they have put in um, the, the pronouns are pointing to the wrong people. <laughs> you know, that can happen a lot of times, you know, if you got multiple male or multiple female characters and you're starting to use she and all of a sudden does that she mean this character or is it the other character and it becomes quite confusing um, <laughs> staying away from you know adverbs are a great place to, you know your ly's in there that you can look at it and then try to rework that sentence to make it stronger because those it's not that you can't use them it's just that you want to be really sparing with yeah. them and, and trying to increase your ability to really describe something and connect better with the reader so they get a fuller picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? Let's go, go on, Dan. I was going to say, you, um, at the minute, I'm finding that a lot of people, um, when you ask about people's processes, they are now, I mean, I've had it quite a few times when um, back in my days where I did do a lot more editing, I'd have people approach me um, and basically ask for a quote for a, a piece of text for whatever they're working on. And nine times out of 10, they'll see the kind of, um costs that i was quoting and to be fair i was giving friend rates i was being compared to sort of the national average in england anyway i was well below what um people would normally pay the first thing people would say is yeah but you know microsoft word picks up most of the mistakes <laughs> anyway so i might go yeah. with that and more and more now you've got programs you've got extensions to your browsers like grammarly you've got pro, things pro like hemingway yeah, yeah exactly pro writing age you've got all these sort of um digital apps so I'm quite curious what your view is on those because I know what mine is. <laughs> <laughs> well, they still have yet to make a grammar program that actually can pick up the nuances of the English language. You know, it can, you know, Grammarly and ProWriting 8 are better than pushing F7 on Microsoft Word, but they still don't replace it. You know, mm -hmm. like they're great to, to, you can clean up a lot of your stuff before you send it to someone who's going to do the line edit, but you still need to do that because they're not picking everything up. They don't understand exactly what it is that you're saying in each of the individual situations. And it's too bad. I mean, I would love it. I would absolutely love, because I'm a developmental editor, so it's not going to put me out of work. I would love to be able <laughs> to have a program that, that caught it all, that knew it all and knew exactly what we were trying to do and put together and, and put out there, but it doesn't exist yet. That's it, especially with the amount of different writing styles that people have and mm -hmm. you don't want to take out people's voices or people's styles and i am um, one of the things i'm really finding annoying at the minute i don't know if you guys have got the same update but my microsoft word is updated and it now picks up passive voice 
Uh, I, which, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really use word to be honest. So forever getting little blue lines, and I'm like, but there's nothing really wrong with this sentence. But words now just being very picky with stuff. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and it doesn't tell you how to fix it though. No, <laughs> it's just in brackets, just shaded yeah. brackets, passive voice. Oh, all right. Cheers, words. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. It's uh, it's interesting. So um, I think me and Dan, we, we were talking about this the other day uh, in terms of now that I'm reading, because I've been getting into Stephen King, never read him growing up. Now I've been reading him a bit more and I'm a bit older. And he writes really flowery. <laughs> like, And also, yeah. like he does, he does a lot of things that I would think nowadays uh, an editor would, would just take out straight away. So there's a lot of uh, head jump, like POV jumping in there. Yes. Um, there's a lot of uh, like the, the adverbs that he says don't for adverbs, but his, his, his prose is full of adverbs. Um, yes. So, I mean, in terms of like... <laughs> oh, some of them are ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, like, I quite like the way he does it. But um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, these sort of older styles and newer styles, um, should... And so uh, the head jumping is the main thing for me because I'm starting to enjoy doing it. And I know it's wrong, like in, in quotation marks, but are we allowed to play with it a bit more like that? Or is that something we should just should just stick to the rules and say no to it? So, you know, it's like I tell students in my class, the college, you can do anything when you're Stephen King. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're at that point, you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And the rules are, are always just there as suggestions. I mean, this is an art. You can do whatever it is that you want to do with it, but you need to understand what it is that you're doing, you know, that you need to be making conscious decisions. Um, you know, those trying to be able to communicate in the best way possible though, is what we should be trying to do at the end of the day and things like head hopping, like, well then write omniscient, you know, Mm. be conscious about creating a narrator that's going to jump into everybody's heads and explore all these different things. There are ways to do it, you know, but go all in with it. Don't just say, well, I can do whatever I want because Stephen King did this, you know, like (laughs) just be conscious about it and understand what it is that you're trying to do. And, um, you know, for instance, uh, spelling things phonetically for, for dialogue is one of my biggest pet peeves. And, um, as an editor, i like if so, I've worked on some anthologies and short story submissions things. I won't even look at them when that comes across because I'm like that slows my reader down. Mm-hmm. That makes them stop and have to like reprocess what that word really is because you're trying <laughs> to make a, a this person how they sound, you know. And um, but once you're making as much money as J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, you yeah. could spell the whole book phonetically and you would still sell <laughs> all of them. All the You'd never want to edit so, train spotting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, Sweet. Um, yeah. You know, like the rules are are there to to be guides. You mm-hmm. got to make the decision though, because it's your name on the book and it's your sales process at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think that's quite an important point. Um, we also one of the things that I find um, quite a lot when I speak to particularly writers who say that they take their writing seriously, they say that they really want to work on their craft and that they want to sort of make their name bigger. A lot of people don't actually know the different stages of editing um, and kind of do see it just as you write your work, you send it to a proofreader and it's done. Um, what would you kind of suggest for maybe someone that's on a bit of a, a shoestring budget, someone that's starting out? What would you say would be the minimum layers that people should go through and maybe um, just give us a very brief overview of the different levels? Sure. 
So, and, and in fact, yeah, what you were mentioning before about pricing, you know, this can be a real uh, issue for a lot of people, especially when they're starting out trying to get into the indie world with it. But it's something that you have to understand is that you are the now, you now are the publisher and these are costs that need to be absorbed by the publisher. Mm. So just because you can publish for free on Kindle doesn't mean that it doesn't cost anything. Um, so you have developmental editing, you have, um, you've got your copy editing, you've got line editing, you've got proofreading. Um, there's another one in there that, that gets switched around with developmental editing. I can't think of what the term is. I apologize. So, but these are the main ones that you, that you're going to worry about. And so the developmental editing is certainly the highest cost because this person is going to go through and they're going to really work through everything that you're doing in the book and like make it the best possible story. Um, your, your copy editing is going to go through and they're going to, to look at some grammar, but they're also going to be very conscious about where your lines are, are line, where your lines are in your paragraphs and making sure that the, um, everything flows mm. well, that it reads well and make suggestions in that way. And <clears throat> the line editor goes through and just does grammar. It's all they care about. They're just making sure all the grammar is done. And then, you know, you get a proofreader at the end of it all to make sure that the line editor did their job. Because <laughs> the unfortunate thing is, is that, and I, I love this stuff, you know, like you, you come into, a, you can grab, a, just like happened with when you decided to change your status and you missed the F, right? Okay. Because yeah, you knew what you were me. trying to write, mm. <laughs> right? We know what we're trying to say. And so we can read it a hundred times and maybe miss the biggest mistake every single time we go through it. And then the next person picks it up and they catch 99% of it. But that's still in a hundred thousand word book. That's still a lot of little mistakes that are left over. And then that last person comes through and picks those ones up because it's just the mental ability of how we read that we fix what it is that we're reading. Um, if you can't afford anything, read your book out loud. Yeah. You know, read the entire thing out loud and you're going to catch quite a few of your mistakes, but just reading it inside your head, you're going to just jump over them. Yeah. And, uh, one of the other weird ways to do it is to read your book backward. No, that's not like read each. Yeah. Yeah. So like you start on a page, you don't read the sentences backwards, but you read each sentence and then you go to the sentence above it and then the sentence above it. And you're reading those out loud like that. And you're going to catch a ton of stuff because you just in yeah. out of order. So there was the, um, uh, so like there's some famous art lesson for drawing, illustrating, uh, where a lot of people, they, they'll say, draw this picture and they'll start drawing it. And then they'll start drawing what they think the picture should be like. So they said, turn the picture upside down and then nine percent of the time they'll draw a much more accurate representation of what that picture is a drawing just because they're, they're, uh, their mind is sort of taking over and sort of filling in the gaps that shouldn't be filled in. So I guess it's a similar thing, just sort of re-jerking the, uh, the mind. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, with that type of art, you're seeing it as a shape instead of as a whole. Yeah. And it's the same thing on the page. You're seeing it as a sentence instead of a paragraph, instead of a chapter. You know, you're just seeing the one portion of it and you can catch yeah. the majority of the stuff when you're looking at it that way. But it takes a lot of time. And, and I mean, you know, I mean, you've, you've written this book and you've edited this book. You've spent months with this book. The last thing you probably want to do is read it backwards out loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. yeah, not, Dan, yeah, for Lazarus, do you want to give that a quick backwards read for me? <laughs> <laughs> not, no, not in a million yeah. years. I, I burned it before I read it backwards. Um, yeah, so um, you're, so you say 
you're doing your development developmental edits at the minute and you're cracking back into the fiction world is your heart in fiction more or is it in sort of the editing process and what are your plans at the minute with fiction going forward so i i do want to do small fiction i'll never reach the pace you know that of, of four books per year multiple books per year that's just not where i'm at like i take i'm just slow at it and because i just take my time with it and i don't feel bad about it um <laughs> but my real deal is story for change like i really want to get more into you know our world is dividing more and more all the time and i want to you know work with authors who want to develop stories that can actually inspire people to make changes in their own life make changes in the the, the communities they live in and it can be all down there at the bottom i don't want to smack people over the face with it but i want to help people figure out you know how you can inspire someone when they're reading a story because that's that's where our biggest change can come as people is when we're reading and we're, when we're engaging in another world that we didn't know existed. You know, we didn't see it in that terms before because we'll never get that way when you're like, if I give you a history book, that's just a bunch of facts and it doesn't resonate in the same way if I gave you a fictional history of a person that was living at that time and you could see it through their eyes. Yeah, I think some people might underestimate the power that story has on other people or even on themselves. And I think... Well, I actually saw him a perfect example this earlier where someone took their six-year-old son to go and see the Lego Batman movie and now the child won't take off his Batman costume. And it's that kind of feeling <laughs> yeah. of being submerged in the world. And I know that's a bit more of um, sort of a, an outlandish one where he, he might be pretending to be Batman. But I've come out of um, films like, I don't know, The Pursuit of Happiness or those kind of feel-good mm. films where the story has been that powerful that you just want to be a better person because of it. Yeah. I sometimes wonder, so... I, I feel like I've got a good judgment of what right and wrong is. Like, you know, I'm polite. I, I'm nice to people. I disagree. <laughs> you jerk. I, I, I sometimes wonder if, like, these, these bad people in the world, did they just not watch cartoons growing up? Because most of my, like, <laughs> life lessons and morals are from, like, Spider-Man cartoons. And, like, the, these lessons are just are so embedded in those stories. I feel like are they, they're missing out on, like, human goodness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, the story can, and it, it struck me, actually, while I was stationed in Iraq uh, during the war, you know, that it was the first time that I really saw, wow, you know, when you grow up, like, in a completely different culture of stories that are there, you come out differently. Like, I mean, there's still, you know, I've worked uh, trained Iraqi soldiers, they still care about their family, there's still those basic connections in there, but at the same time, how they view things is very different than how I viewed things. And that is based on the stories that we were raised with. I mean, it, it kind of sounds silly when I always say this, when people kind of give me this weird look, but like the reality is based on the stories that we tell. Oh yeah. Like yeah. we, we spin it into how we want it to be with the stories we tell. So. Do you feel, this is a bit of a random question. <laughs> so do you, do you feel like um, the, the stories of the, of the culture sort of dictate the, the cultural sensibilities or do you feel it's the other way around so i know england is very polite very like dry sort of sense of humor um do you feel like and i know american stories tend to have more happy endings <laughs> they tend mm -hmm. to have more yeah. dancing in the end credits um whereas <laughs> we some our stories tend to end up with someone not get not winning or not or this is a big joke really do you feel like uh -huh. which way around do you think that is and do you feel like um we should get more American endings in our stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that the world needs everybody to have the same story. 
But I think that people need to understand and read more of each other's stories and share more of each other's stories so we can understand how they view the world and how they see it. Because that's that's where it really comes down to. It's like if we want to really bridge gaps, we need to understand where the other person's coming from. And we can do that through their story. You know, like, yeah, because American ideology is we're going to win. And life's going to be great and good yeah. and we're going to make it that way, you know, where someone else comes at it with a different kind of point of view. And you can just see that when you, you know, you meet an American yeah. entrepreneur and how that spirit that they have with everything because it's a movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's right there. But does that mean that it's absolutely doesn't mean that we should be taking ours and then moving it over there? Um, have you seen the movie um, Arrival? No, not yet. Not yet. I've heard okay. amazing things about it. Yeah. Yes. Watch that movie or read the short story. But uh, the basis no, on, on this, short story. It, it is based on a short story. So a, a science fiction, um, can't remember the, I don't think it's called a, uh, a rival for the short story, but it is a short story. And it explores this idea of, of language, right? That the language that we grow up with is what's going to give us the ability to see the world around us and understand and interpret it. And it could be, this is my own hypothesis, but it could be why, Americans have a difficult time seeing the rest of the world because we only speak one language. Like we only have one language to draw from. And so we can only explain and think think through that English terminology and things. Yeah. There's also in this world where we're all, you know, separating and all these wars and stuff. Um, there was that saying you should never read your enemy's poetry because <laughs> if, if you read your enemy's poetry, you can't see them as your enemy anymore. And you start right. to understand their... Their, their thought processes and their, and their way of life and their culture. So we should all read each other's poetry, basically. I really yep. like that. Where's that from? I actually read it in a Hugh Howie short story. Um, nice. I, I think he was quoting someone else, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. um, so moving on from uh, from this woo-woo stuff. Uh, so uh, is there any resources out there, uh, books for, for story development or or podcasts out there like like your own that we should be listening to and watching? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the book editor show. <laughs> Come watch me every once in a while when we do it. Um, so there's 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 a ton. Um, some of my favorites, uh, writing shapely fiction is a really great resource. Uh, the writing the breakout novel by Donald Moss is a fantastic book uh, for editing, self editing for authors. I think is what it's called. Um, so it's a really good one as well. <clears throat> if uh, you're interested in the stuff I've just been spewing forth here and talking about um the version one of the course punch him in the gut writing fiction with emotional impact is still available on <clears throat> on udemy.com uh, version two is going to be coming out this year though and we'll have a lot more information but it's a whole idea of how to engage people emotionally with your story and get them to share it at the end and why story matters historically speaking and and how powerful it is and yeah. it doesn't matter if you want to write a powerful story but you have the option, you know, yeah. like you have the power to change the world <laughs> if you want to. Yeah. Why, why not? Give it a go. Why not? Yeah. You, know, you could. Or make money. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I just want Whatever you to know you your want option. to do. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, so, Dan, I think I'm uh, pretty much out of questions. Is there anything else you wanted to ask? Uh, a thousand things, but I think okay. um, we should probably head towards the 10 question section. Cool. So the quick fire round. So, uh, Clark, so we've got a few questions we're going to throw them at you. You have to answer them extremely quickly, uh, otherwise you failed the test. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry, not at all. Um, I love this part. <laughs> uh, Dan, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Are you ready, Clark? Yeah, let's do okay. this. Okay. 
Zombies or vampires? Zombies. Writing or editing? I editing. <laughs> Favorite member of Sterling and Stone? What's that? <laughs> Favorite member of Sterling and Stone? Sean Platt. Uh, would you rather have a cold in the desert or a fever in the Arctic? Fever in the Arctic. What was the last book you read? I just finished Cosmos and oh. Religion, I believe is what it's called. Uh, favorite, so, favorite word? Fired. <laughs> Least favorite word? Fired. <laughs> uh, do you believe in Bigfoot? No, I don't. Where is the love? Uh, in your heart. Nice. And uh, would you come back on the show at some point, please? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Cool. Fantastic. And that way, I could, uh, that way I could be prepared for 10 questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really like that section. I don't know why. It's just something quite... You get some really organic answers. We've got some corkers for some of the questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So um, the last thing, I guess, uh, Clark, is uh, where can we follow you and, and your work? So go to clark-chamberlain.com. Or you can just type in Clark Chamberlain. I'm the first page of Google results. And uh, you can click on there. And actually, if you uh, click on it, I'll send you how to better connect emotionally with your reader with some five simple steps that can put that together for you. Cool. Excellent. Uh, so just want to say a quick thanks to Disaster Piece for the intro and outro music. Acast for hosting the podcast and listeners for listening. Our patrons over at Patreon. Uh, thanks to Dan, my co-host, for being here. And thanks again to Clark Chamberlain. Okay. Cheers. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories? Oh. And did you know? Every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute, eh? Anyway. Toodle pip. <laughs>